the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Everything you've been through in terms of the tribulation, as horrible as it is, the upside to it is you're going to be able to help somebody else. And so look for that. Begin to look for that. When you've come through and you're in a better place now and you've experienced the comfort of the Lord, start to look for other people. And it'll be interesting to see when you make that your prayer, Lord, I want what I've been through to be of some encouragement to somebody else. You'll be amazed at how God will bring along your path people who have been through what you've been through. Today, Pastor Gary makes the point that the easiest way to witness to someone is by going through trials and tribulations. How many times have you been able to open up more sincerely with someone because you know they can relate to what you're dealing with? When we are going through difficult times, we can look at it as though we're writing our own testimonies. Your empathy for others will only increase when you've actually been through similar hardships. Is there someone in your life that could benefit from hearing your testimony today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. going to write here about how God is the God of all comfort, and he's going to explain to us comfort because he's going to talk about tribulation or suffering. Between verses 3 through 11, here of chapter 1, Paul is going to explain to us two things. He's going to explain to us what suffering produces in us, and he's going to talk about what suffering produces through us. And again, he has lived this so he can write this. He is writing this from firsthand experience of his own suffering and his own tribulation and all the stuff that he's been through. And he says, but I just want you to know that through all this suffering and difficulty, he says, I have encountered the God of mercies or the God of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, that word comfort in the Greek is periklesis. Periklesis is the noun that comes from the verb form perikaleo. Perikaleo means to call alongside of. And it is actually the same word that is used 
for the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. Four times, Jesus uses that same word in John 14, 15, and 16 as a word for the Holy Spirit. In the King James, Jesus uses the word comforter. In the New King James, it translates helper. In the NIV, it translates counselor. And the Holy Spirit is all those things. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He is our counselor. But it is from the same Greek word parakaleo, meaning the one who is called alongside of us. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside of us, to be our comforter, our helper, and our counselor. That's why in the Bible we read how he will never leave us nor forsake us. When you go through times of suffering and difficulties and trials, God is always with you. He is the one who is called alongside of you. He is the one who is there to come alongside of you and to walk with you and to help you and to lift you up and to uphold you in his righteous right hand when you feel like you cannot take another step. This is the beautiful ministry of the Lord in our lives that Paul is going to write about here through chapter 1. And in the process, he's going to answer these questions what suffering produces in us, and what suffering produces through us. And one of the first things he's going to say here, we're going to look at five things that he says suffering produces in us and suffering produces through us. One of the first things that he's going to write here in verse 3 is, it produces a greater awareness of the tenderness of God. There is nothing quite like going through suffering of some kind that will produce a greater awareness, awareness of just how tender and loving your heavenly Father is. He writes in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, or mercies, and the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. If you have a King James Bible or New King James, it uses the word tribulation. Tribulation in our English is derived from the Latin word tribulum. A tribulum was a device that was used to separate wheat from the chaff. A tribulum was a wooden board, and on the underside of this wooden board were inserted sharp flint objects. I want you to imagine like teeth on the underside of a long, flat board, almost like, you know, picture like a long sheet of plywood. And underneath were jagged flint pieces. And then there would be a threshing floor. And you'd throw down the wheat, and in order to separate the kernels of wheat from the chaff that was discarded, they would put the wheat down on the threshing floor, and then they would drag the tribulum over top of the wheat so that the friction of these flint teeth with the wheat would cause this movement to separate the wheat from the chaff. And then the chaff would blow away in the wind of the day, and you were left with the kernels of wheat, which was the useful part of the wheat. So I want you to picture the word tribulation from that word tribulum, because that's the kind of thing that he's describing. It is like you are being run over in life by jagged flint teeth. Okay? And some of you understand this. Because of stuff you've been through. It is like this excruciatingly painful experience of life that sometimes we endure. And it is likened unto this threshing board with jagged teeth on the underside that just keeps running over you and running over you and running over you. Get the picture? 
So this is what he's talking about here. And he says, and God is the one who comforts us in that. God is the one who is the God of mercies and the God of all comfort in all of that tribulation and troubles. And he said there in verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So point number two, what suffering produces in us and through us is greater empathy for other hurting people. Because when you've been through the ringer, you now have a greater understanding of what other people go through. You know, I might add to number two, it produces greater empathy for other hurting people and greater ministry toward them eventually. And you know, when you're in the middle of your own suffering and tribulation, you're not in a position or a place to offer much comfort to other people. But Paul is talking about when you come through it, what ends up happening is you end up being able to be more empathetic towards other people who are going through something similar to you. And by the way, you're able to comfort them with the comfort that you have received because you've gone through it yourself. And you become one with greater opportunity for ministry to someone who's been through what you've been through than someone else who has not been through what you've been through. You understand this, right? Because there's nothing quite as empathetic, for example, of someone ministering to someone else who just lost a loved one if you yourself have lost a loved one. Because you know what it's like. And so you can empathize and you can say, I I know what you're feeling. Or pick your, pick your tribulation. You know, if you've experienced, as a lady, if you've experienced a miscarriage, when you kind of come through that and then experience the Lord's comfort in your life, you then have a great ministry to comfort another lady who has experienced a miscarriage, unlike anyone else can, because you've experienced it. If you've come through addiction, and maybe the Lord has just, you know, wonderfully healed you of some addiction to alcohol or to heroin or to whatever it might be, and then someone else is struggling, and now you're at a better place yourself, and you've experienced that comfort, guess who has the best ministry to that other person who's going through addiction? You, because of what you've been through. And you can empathize with them and relate to them in a way that others who haven't been down your road could. And so eventually what happens is, and I didn't coin this, but I think it's a beautiful way to remember, your misery becomes your ministry. Your misery becomes your ministry. That even though right now you might be going through something that you can't foresee God using because you're in the midst of it, I'm just here to tell you that eventually when you come through the other side having experienced the comfort of the Lord, your miserable experience will then become a ministry that you can use to reach other people. And it's a wonderful thing to know that you can empathize with someone in ways that others who have not experienced your misery could. So, when you experience the comfort of the Lord, Paul says here, your comfort then can overflow to other people. And, you know, everything you've been through in terms of the tribulation, as horrible as it is, the upside to it is you're going to be able to help somebody else. And so look for that. Begin to look for that. When you've come through and you're at a better place now and you've experienced the comfort of the Lord, start to look for other people. And it'll be interesting to see when you make that your prayer, Lord, I want what I've been through to be of some encouragement to somebody else. You'll be amazed at how God will bring along your path people who have been through what you've been through.
Can anybody testify to what I'm saying tonight? Amen? And so make that your ministry objective. When you've come through it to a place where now you understand the comfort of the Lord, be of comfort to someone else with the comfort that you have received yourself. He adds in verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. One of the other things that he mentions here is that suffering produces in us and through us a greater appreciation for Christ's suffering. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, speaking about Jesus in Isaiah 53, 3, that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Jesus experienced his share of suffering. King James says, and acquainted with grief, NIV says familiar with sufferings, but it is the Hebrew word makoba. Makoba translates grief, pain, sorrow, or suffering. So take your pick. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with grief, pain, sorrow, and suffering. And that isn't just referring only to the cross, though that was obviously the, the pinnacle of his suffering. But there's an interesting verse in Hebrews 5, 7. I don't know how many of you have noted Hebrews 5, 7 before, but it says this. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. That's Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth is the way that verse starts. Jesus offered up petitions with loud cries and tears. And it really frames the picture that Jesus' life was often about Sorrow and tears. And maybe it's just a combination of his sorrow for the weight of the sin of the world. You know, there were different times where the Bible says in the Gospels that Jesus, you know, looked on the people and he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he felt compassion in, literally in the translation, in his bowels, in in the depths, like in your gut. Have you ever felt some intense emotion deep in your gut. That's the word that is used there. Splagnitzomei in the Greek, meaning this intense, guttural compassion. And this is the word that describes Jesus. And he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. It's almost as if, you know, when we read through the Gospels, we, we see him moving from a place of preaching to a place of prayer, but we forget along the way Hebrews 5, 7 describes the days of his life filled with loud cries and tears, his anguish of soul between his compassion and just, you know, knowing the cross that was before him and and just his life experience on earth was one of much sorrow and grief. Therefore, God can empathize with us and he can understand our own sufferings and our own sorrows and we can therefore have a greater appreciation for Christ's sufferings because when we go through difficulties, our eyes are kind of open to some of the sufferings of Christ. Paul would write in Philippians 3.10, this has always been a curious verse to me, and like, why would you kind of wish this? But in Philippians 3.10, Paul writes, I want to know Christ, I get that part, and the power of his resurrection, I get that part. I want to know Christ and I want to know power, amen? But then he adds, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And he says, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead... You know, that verse is just powerful with this. Paul's saying, I just I want to know everything about Christ. I just don't want to know only the power. I also want to know the sufferings. I want to know what he experienced in his life. And I want to identify with Christ on every level. And when you go through your share of suffering and tribulation, you will have a greater appreciation for what Christ did for you on the cross. And it opens your eyes 
to the intensity and the suffering of our Savior. Well, it goes on also in verse 6. He says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering so that we suffer. So again, that's just a reiteration of having more empathy for other people. He says, If we've gone through this, let me tell you, it's only because it's for you. And if we're comforted, it's for you. Verse 7, he says, And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. I mean, this is desperate. Okay, this is desperate stuff that he's talking about here. But then he adds in verse 9, but this happened. Everybody should have this verse underlined in their Bibles, friends. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of the other reasons that we go through suffering and what it produces in us and through us, number four, is a greater dependence upon God rather than self. He says, this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He throws that last part in there, who raises the dead, because he's like, God is all-powerful. And we felt such in a bad place that we despaired even of life. But God, who raises the dead, raised us, figuratively speaking, you know, gave us hope again. All right? But he says, but in part, we went through what we did because God taught us something. When you go through difficulties, you will learn to become more dependent upon God rather than self. Now, we live in a culture that esteems self. We pride ourselves in being self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-made people. And we admire people like that. They are self-sufficient, they're self-made, you know, they're self-reliant, look at them. And so we esteem self in our culture. But the problem is that self becomes a god, and we put self on the throne, and then we think self is invincible, and then we think self is all that, and then God humbles us. And then in the process of being humbled, we realize just how much we need him. So it is not weakness to say, I want to be more dependent on God. It is just reality, friends. That you will eventually, if not already, get to the place in life where you will realize you cannot do this by yourself. We need the Lord. Folks, I've asked myself many times, I'm sure you have too, I don't know how people get through life without him. I mean, I have a theory, to be honest with you, and this isn't to delegitimize sometimes the necessity of good counseling and good medication. But we're living in an over-medicated, over-therapized what if that's even a word, culture, because that's what happens when people don't have the Lord. They just go either self-medicating, so there's another self thing, they self-medicate, or they go into therapy. That isn't to delegitimize godly Christian counseling and sometimes the necessity for good medication if and when necessary. But even those who prescribe medication will admit to you that we have over-medicated our culture. And there is now this dependence on other things for people who don't particularly know the Lord because that's how they try to manage life. So if you ask yourself, how do people get through life without the Lord? I think those are the reasons. 
People have turned to certain addictions or they've turned to certain therapy or they've turned to certain medication because you can't do it by yourself. But eventually, if you get to the place where you humble yourself, you'd realize that your hope is in him and that God is the one that we can become dependent on and God is our ever-present help in times of trouble and he is the one who will do exceedingly abundantly for us beyond what we could hope or imagine because there's no human remedy for the deepest needs of the human heart. And it's only the Lord that can ultimately take care of us and help us to manage life and all the various crises and tribulations that come along. It is the Lord. So it's not weakness to say, I'm dependent on Him. It's a statement of reality to the goodness and the strength and the power of God who raises the dead. And through tribulation and difficulties, we will learn to become more dependent on Him and less self-reliant. He goes on to also add here in verse 10 that he, the Lord, has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. You know, he knows God has been consistent in the past. He's going to be consistent in the future. I can state that by faith. He says, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Notice this, as you help us, he writes to the church at Corinth, as you help us by your prayers... And then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And it's the last thing that he says here about what suffering produces in us and through us, a greater reliance on prayer. You know, if you weren't a, really a praying person, hit a few tribulations along the way and it will increase your prayer life. How many can testify to that? All right. And so that's what begins to happen. When we go through difficulties, we learn how to pray better and how to pray more. I was challenged many years ago by when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's that passage where he turns to, he left his disciples and went out further with Peter, James, and John. And then Jesus went out further in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And he came back and says, and he found them sleeping. And he said, could you not tarry with me for one hour? Couldn't you just pray for an hour? That has always challenged me like... What's the extent of our prayer life? Because Jesus puts an hour in terms of the minimum. Could you not pray with me just at least for an hour? Could you not tarry for an hour? And when you look at the beautiful model that Jesus sets for us in prayer, it talks about, for example, in Mark chapter 1, it talks about how after he ministered all night, they looked for him the next morning, but he had gone out to a solitary place where he could pray. And when it comes to suffering and tribulation, man, it will jack up our prayer life. And Paul writes to us in his letter to the Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't just make it a bunch of requests. Make it also with a time of worship. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to him. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And when you're going through difficulties and tribulations, sometimes you just need that peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when he says, and the peace that passes all understanding, it means you're going to get a peace from the Lord when you pray that doesn't make sense. You ever seen somebody or you've experienced going through something really terrible, but they just have this peace? And you can look at them and you can say, how in the world can you have this peace when bombs are going off in your life? And you're like, you know what? It doesn't even really make sense. But that's the answer to that passage in Philippians. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. 
Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share from 2 Corinthians next time. But right now, we'd like to share how you can continue studying God's Word on your own. Did you know that you too can learn from the Bible? You don't need a degree or years of study to understand God's Word. Just open up the Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart to what He knows you need to hear. If you'd like some additional resources to enhance your personal time studying the Word, we've compiled some for you on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find these under the Teachings tab. Pastor Gary offers a deeper look into several of his studies that we hope will help you gain a better understanding of the Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take Cornerstone Connection anywhere with the mobile app to listen to commentary on the Word. Our website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us at Cornerstone Chapel to spend time in the Word and worshiping our Savior for all He's doing in the world. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you'll tune in again for our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.